Welcome to ESG Energize, where we discuss the latest developments in the environmental, social, and governance arena that are impacting the energy industry today. Here is your host, Delfina Govia. This is Delfina Govia, the Chief Sustainability Officer for FRAC, a global logistics provider with an unflinching commitment to sustainability and ESG and where we are collaborating with our customers and our suppliers to deliver innovative, sustainable supply chain solutions. ESG Energized audience, we're coming to you today from CIRA Week by S&P Global, and I am very privileged to have with me Cosma Panzaki, the Senior Vice President of Strategy and Sustainability for Siemens Energy. Cosma, welcome to the show. Thank you, Delfina. It's a pleasure to be here. I would love to start off with you telling me a little bit about yourself, how you got into this role, and how long have you been with Siemens Energy? Well, let me start from the second question. I'm pretty new to the company. I've been here only for six months. Uh, and before that, I was in charge of hydrogen for SNAM, uh, which is a large uh, infrastructure corporation in, in Europe. Yes, I'm very familiar. <laughs> Wonderful. Great. And what I'm really interested in understanding is how in your organization, Siemens Energy. So was this role in existence before you came to Siemens or was it created especially with your arrival? Look, it was reshaped uh, in reality, right? Because we decided to put together strategy and sustainability to make both more effective, I would say. And uh, it's a journey, we are at the start of this, right? But what we're trying to do are two things. First of all, we are trying to top down insert sustainability in whatever we do. For example, when it comes to deciding on our future portfolios, right, we always take into consideration like the carbon intensity of what we do, and we have a shadow price for CO2 of 100 euros per ton. Okay. Uh, we also apply this criteria, of course, to any inorganic growth opportunities. So there's a, you know, uh, a filter there that prevents us to move in certain directions if they are not compliant with our goal, for example, of being uh, climate, climate neutral by 2030. The second thing that we are doing, and this will take a little bit more time. You have all, you have the attention <laughs> of my listeners. Um, it's to try to create, you know, bottom up within the organization, um, a perception of how important sustainability is in whatever we do on a day by day basis. So what this basically means, for example, is, when, is that when our salespeople go around the globe, they need to find opportunities that are coherent with our sustainability goals. And when I talk about sustainability, of course, here we are at CIRA Week, we are really focused on the E of the ESG Absolutely. spectrum. But there are also the other elements that we need to take into account, the social element. Uh, it's super important for us. So I'm glad that you brought that up. And while we are focusing quite a bit on the topic of, of E, the environmental, one of the things that I continuously say on this podcast, having been 43 years in the oil industry, is that we have always, as an industry, paid attention to the social aspects because you know we've, we've got to go into different parts of the world and get get oil from other places, other countries. And you can't just go in there and take their resources out and just give them 
money in return, you have to be able to leave behind more than just the finances. You have to be able to incorporate your your capabilities into the local communities and provide to provide opportunities for them beyond just giving the nation money. Yeah. So I'm I'm so glad that you brought that up. It's very important those those topics. So what's top of mind for you? Look, for me, like what is important is first of all to deliver on our targets, right? On our own targets uh, of decarbonization. So we have a 2030 stated target of being climate neutral and also to reduce our scope three emissions by 28%. Just to give you an idea, our scope three emissions represent 90% of our total emissions out there, right? So it's super important that we address that too. Um, it seems easy on paper, and actually we are, uh, you know, beating our own targets uh, as of today on our scope one and scope two. We we were targeting 50% of reduction by 2025. We are ahead of that, but to move forward on scope three takes time, takes effort, takes convincing clients, and that's my, you know, element number two. So. Uh, the second item that keeps me awake at night is how to convince clients that by shifting to low carbon technologies, you can actually make more money, right? Uh, and you can be sustainable also economically. That's actually something that we're trying to do, for example, in the hydrogen space, mm -hmm. progressively convincing clients on how to shift to green molecules can make sense in some sectors, for example, in refining when you need to pro produce sustainable aviation fuel. The third area that actually keeps me awake at night is, you know, the chasm that exists between the narrative on how important sustainability is and how financial markets price that. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. It. <laughs> <laughs> so the way I like to, tell me if you, you agree, the way I like to explain sustainability and if you disagree, then I'm going to look really foolish on what I talked about on another podcast. But that's. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but what I like to do is I like to explain, you know, in my mind, mm -hmm. I look at sustainability as the intersection between corporate sustainability and global sustainability mm -hmm. so that an organization can survive and thrive within the context of do not do any harm mm -hmm. and provide positive impact on the world. So it's it's walking it's understanding like you said convincing your your supply chain partners yeah. right your your broader community yeah. that this is actually the right thing to do from both a doing the right thing in the world from a climate perspective a social perspective but also it's the right thing for the organization yeah absolutely I I, I, I think you nailed it okay good <laughs> <laughs> and, and and you know there's an element there of earning the right to operate basically by ah. being true to what uh, to what you affirm also as a uh, as your own company goal for example our company goal is to energize society right uh, and then what we have seen also internally in our company is that as the new generations are coming into the, the company, it's really crucial not to have a, a misalignment between your sustainability goals and your strategy, right? Because otherwise, in, you know, in the competition for talent, the best ones are going, going to leave you. That's exactly right. They're going to go to the organizations that can find that intersection between you know, corporate sustainability and global sustainability right yeah that's that's the mindset of our of our youth yeah we're very blessed right <laughs> and create that environment have you seen 
challenges along the way, especially with the that integrated view of strategy and sustainability or just within sustainability? Have you seen a lot of challenges or, or maybe just tell us what your greatest challenge might be? Look, there are, there are many challenges out there, right? Uh, I would like to point out three challenges. Okay. The first one, again, maybe I'll... I'll repeat what I said before, but it's about uh, the valuation challenge, right? So just to make an example, we believe so much in uh, sustainability that we carried out uh, the largest acquisition for a technology group in Europe this year by taking over Siemens Gamesa completely, right? So we invested 4 billion euros. Uh, you would imagine that by doubling down in the sustainability space and the decarbonization space, we would get some sort of, you know, premium holes in the market for what we are doing. But the lenses of the financial markets on established players versus startup in the decarbonization space are actually kind of different. It's skewed? They are skewed, right? So you get basically beaten, right, if you Uh are a traditional player because you are measured on a number of, uh, let me say, detailed financial criteria and specifically you're measured on earnings rather than potential revenues increase, right? That it's not exactly the same type of lenses that are applied to some of the startups in the space. Uh So there is a mismatch there that we need somewhat to close, right, going forward, I think. Also to be more effective as a, as a society. That's point number one. The second challenge that, uh, that we are facing is sometimes with society, right? Because even though, for example, we are one of the most progressive companies out there when it comes to decarbonization, of course, you are always uh, pushed by stakeholders uh, that want you to do more and to do it faster, right? But being a company, you have also this sort of uh, uh, complex challenge where if you are progressive, stakeholders will ask even more of you. Ah, right? okay. Because they, they know that they will, will have a, uh, someone that listens to them. So you need to strike a balance there between what you can actually do uh, in the typical time horizon of a strategic plan, which is three or four years, and what you have to do over the next decades, right? That, that's uh, uh, another typical challenge that we are facing. The final one, I think it's, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, we need to change the mindset of all our colleagues when they think about sustainability and moving away from seeing sustainability as some sort of regulatory checkbox, right, to something that they live in what they do. And we have 90,000 colleagues around the world, right, to change the way in which we operate takes time. So that's also a challenge. Absolutely. So it's that balance between a central corporate uh, programs with the needs of the local businesses and we all understand that you know different markets different local offices communities have different needs right you're absolutely right I mean uh, when we look we operate in seven regions of the world the, the way in which decarbonization for example is interpreted in North America versus Europe versus APAC is three different paths three different speeds and you need to be pragmatic right and as a corporate you need to be able to accommodate uh, 
for these different sensitivities also of the local populations and also of the local institutions, right? And that's not banal. And that goes back to your, your point number two about the pressures that you get from stakeholders about what you do. So I would imagine that maybe one of the ways to approach that is to figure out what those different sensitivities are, the different needs in the market, and then balance what you can get done in the short term versus what you can get done with in the long term, and then maybe pick your battles? That's, that's a very good point, and, and you're right, right? We are, if we look also at our, uh, you know, value pools right now, of course, what we are looking at is Europe and North America as a start, right? Okay. But even if you look at Europe and North America, there are some technologies, for example, that are seen or looked at in a very different way on the, the two sides of the pond. Take CCUS, right? In some areas of Europe, it's almost uh, uh, toxic from a political point of view, right. right? Even though we all know that it will be needed, right? Take hydrogen. In Europe, the view on hydrogen, and specifically on green hydrogen, is very different from the view here. So uh, if you look at the so-called European taxonomy, because we Europeans love to use like complex words to describe simple things, but if you look at our taxonomy, it's basically all skewed on green hydrogen, right? While we all know that in reality what we need is low-carbon hydrogen with an array of different technologies out there. So we need to play on these different, in these different parts of the world with our compass, that is to reduce CO2 emissions, but at the same time being flexible. And sometimes it can be complex. We've also been hearing a lot here at Sierra Week from the beauty of Sierra Week is that it brings people from all over the world, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's it's impressive. The, the multiple, there's 80 countries, I think, uh, Jürgen talked about yesterday yeah. or the day before yeah. he said we opened, when he opened the conference it was the day before um, that we have 7,500 delegates and 80 countries represented and we're we're blessed to be able to have these dialogues and hearing from people from different parts of the world and they're absolutely touching on that that topic of there is a uh, there's disparity mm -hmm. in not only available technologies that are around the world, but also there's disparity on financial investment. Mm -hmm. And I'm very interested in your comment about how there's even greater disparity between startups and large organizations. And I, I just would love to hear your perspective on that because yeah. you're, you're in a global role. Yeah. Uh, look, I think there are two elements there, right? First of all, when we look at startups and when the market looks at startups, uh, as we were discussing before, there's, of course, and this is natural, right, a different appetite for risk compared, uh, compared to us, right? And some of the technologies that we are uh, using and that we will be using for the energy transition are you know, operational, but still they don't have sufficient track record. So there is an element of operational risk in those, right? So when you look at that, right, the way in which um, financial markets are ready to finance these technologies is a little bit different if you are a startup that, that is listed, that can actually uh, grow uh, and have the, the benefit of the doubt on, on becoming profitable, and if you are an established company. Right? So what you really need to do if you are an established company like ourselves is to take out 
free cash flow that is coming from traditional technologies and moving it in these technologies that right now are not immediately value accretive. That's right. And that's a challenge, right? Because this is not what is asked out of a startup. Uh, startups are being asked to increase their revenues as fast as possible. That's right. Right. So the level playing field at this point in time is not, I would say, uh, uniform for everyone. And uh, I think this creates also potentially an issue for final customers. Ah, how Be so? Because it might happen that final customers are attracted to some of the new players and the new players might have also very interesting technologies, but most of the time they don't have, for example, the maintenance network that will be needed. Right. So the, the fear that I have going forward is that we will invest uh, billions of euros or dollars right, in creating this green uh, infrastructure. But then 10 years down the line, we might find ourselves with a higher level of maintenance costs than what we are expecting today. Ah, great point. Right. And uh, reliability in energy and reliability in, in the energy transition will always be fundamental. Yes. So that for me is, is one key element. The second key element in the financial uh, discourse, I would say, is to take or reduce the level of risk of mega energy transition projects. We would need financial institutions to help us de risk. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. and finance these large projects. Now, uh, one way to do this would be to have also institutional um, banks, such as, for example, the EIB in Europe, right, to come in and to reduce the cost of capital for everyone and to de-risk the projects. I think that this right now is not yet happening enough Right, because the regulatory framework in which like these projects operate is sometimes still not fully defined. So we have an issue where we have lofty targets, we have great policy statements, but we are missing some parts of the regulatory framework. Therefore, financial players cannot come in as they should. Therefore, projects are not risked, and therefore, like the speed is not where it should be. Yeah, you're making a great point, and I think that we've we've been hearing a lot of uh, similar types of of commentary around a lack of how would we say a holistic approach, and I think that several of our industry leaders have mentioned a proper roadmap mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. for all of the different parts and pieces to come together, whether it be the technology or the finance, the, the infrastructure involved. And, but the one beautiful thing about being here at Sierra Week is that this is all around an industry that knows how to do complex. Yeah. What we don't control, and I'd love your, your insight on this as well, what we don't control are the regulators, Yes. right? Yes. I mean, we have a lot of influence on the financial community and we don't control the regulators but what is your opinion on our responsibility to help influence and educate the educators and, and actually the greater community at large? Look, I think it's a, a fundamental role that we have, right? Because when we look also at the energy transition and we look uh, at the time horizon of the energy transition, uh, it will take decades. Yes. Typically, our counterparts in, in uh, you know, political institutions, right, have 
a political life cycle time horizon, which is three, four, five years, right? So they don't have actually sometimes even the time to invest, to get up to speed, and they will not be, in most of the cases, like immediately liable right, yes. for what right. they have decided. That's exactly right. Right? So I think that, that we, we all need to come together to actually try to tackle this problem, you know, as a joint uh, universe where there are institutions and there are companies. And it should be t in a transparent way, right? Because yes. Especially, I would say, especially in Europe, sometimes we hear some sort of backlash about this, uh, this dialogue uh, because it's seen as, sometimes it's seen as a dangerous lobbying effort yes. by companies. But I think that really from a societal point of view, and look, I have a kid who is five years old, right? So I'm also <laughs> as a father yeah. here, right? I think that this is really something that we should do because it's value accreting for everyone. Absolutely. So in our last minute, yeah. could you wrap up for us? What do you think the focus for companies is going to be over the next five to 10 years? Look, for me, the top element will be the cost of decarbonization. It's not going up down anytime soon. I think that decarbonization overall will become more and more expensive in absolute terms okay. because we will need to speed up uh, how we are decreasing or trying to cut our emissions. So while the cost of decarbonization per ton of CO2 will go down, the overall cost for the average company will go up. So for me, looking at our client base, I think that there are top priority will be finding the right mix of technologies that are reliable and efficient to optimize that cost of decarbonization. And this is something that sometimes I would say companies are right now not equipped to assess and to work on. Ah, okay. I think we could probably have an entire podcast on that topic alone. <laughs> So we've left we've left my listeners with a with a compelling thought in their in their minds. Cosma Banzaki, thank you so very much for joining me thank here you, on the ESG Energize podcast. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Join us again next week on the ESG Energized podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to oggn.com.